0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of On the Air with Palantir, a podcast by Palantir.net, where we go in-depth on topics related to the business of web design and development. It's January 2017, and this is episode number seven. This time, my colleague, Ken Rickard, does the interviewing work for me. Ken was at GovCon in 2016 and was speaking with Kathy Faze, who is the Drupal Community Liaison at Black Mesh. She's got some fantastic information about how to get started in Drupal.
1: Today we're talking to Kathy Thays. Uh, We're at Drupal GovCon, which is a great event here in Washington, D.C. Um, Kathy is the Drupal Community Liaison for Black Mesh. Kathy, is there anything else we should know about you as we get started?
2: Let's see. Uh, Right, so Drupal Community Liaison. I go to a bunch of events for my job. I Fix issues in Drupal. I have a long history of dealing with the mentor program. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I tend to serve as a contact point when people kind of have questions about how you get things done in the community or there's a tricky situation coming up. They might ask me my opinion on Mm -hmm. how to deal with that.
1: And I know you're from the Chicago Drupal community. And I know I run into you at a lot of events where you're helping onboard new Drupal developers. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things you're passionate about. Yes. And so I think that's a really interesting uh, question here. GovCon. We're dealing with a lot of agencies here who are new to Drupal. The keynote we just sat through mm-hmm. was about moving the, the NIH onto Drupal for the first time, and they talked about what that was. Um, so, I mean, what brought you here is to GovCon specifically? and
2: So, Black Mesh, we're based in Ashburn, Virginia, mm-hmm. so we're super close by, local. There's a bunch of us here. There's like eight or nine of us here, so it's really great because I travel a lot. I don't get to see my coworkers all the time. Mm-hmm. So when I go to an event like this, we all get to hang out together, and that's really nice. Uh, the sessions here are pretty top-notch. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting topics, both for developers and for agencies, and uh, there's a really good range of beginner to advanced ones. So it's really great.
1: And I learned yesterday that I think this is officially the biggest non-DrupalCon event in the United States. Wow. Yeah, we've surpassed bad camps. Um, so I want to go back to again your role in the communities to help onboard new developers. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, um, your liaison to make it easier for folks to work with Drupal. And like I said in the keynote, we were dealing with uh, an agency coming onto Drupal for the first time. So I think my first question really is, you know, for a government agency or other organization using Drupal for the first time, what advice do you have for them getting started?
2: So the very, very first thing that I think is important is that the agency makes sure that they have an organizational node on Drupal.org. And that's just a a piece of content where you can put your logo and your company description, and it just allows a way of referring to yourself within the Drupal community. Drupal.org is really important for the Drupal community. It's the hub of everything, and it's our central canonical repository for uh, asking questions and getting answers. And so, just establishing your agency is the very first thing. And then, I think the next thing that's important to do is to take anybody associated with that agency that might ever touch Drupal and make sure they have user accounts. Doesn't like the profiles on these user accounts can be quite complex, but n- there aren't a lot of required fields. So, it's like pick a username, give an email address. You don't even have to say your real name, but what you want, the agency wants to make sure that those, that their developers do, or not their developers, their tech team, right, uh, does is makes a user account and associates it then with the organizational node that's there. And that will immediately open up a lot of doors for uh, getting information out of the community. And without that, it can be really difficult to really get the most benefit out of it. Those are, I think, the first
1: steps. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's interesting to me because we're making, I think, we started with the assumption that you're going to have to interact with the community in order to get your project done <laughs> and be successful.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: What, what is it, I guess, about Drupal that makes that a, sort of a requirement?
2: Some parts of Drupal are core, the central package, and other things are contributed projects, themes, modules, distributions, then there's also custom code that an internal tech team might put together. And much of that is extremely high quality. Some of it isn't. Some of it has information about how to use it, but might be targeted towards a particular kind of um, role in a company. So if the documentation for something is targeted toward a site builder, and you have a back-end developer trying to figure out what's going on, the quality of the project can still be good. And the documentation is kind of sort of in place, but it still might be confusing if that documentation isn't written for exactly who you are. And so you might want to clarify something with somebody, because when you have a chance to clarify something, ask a question and get an answer, it means that the total time that you spend trying to figure something out will be shorter. And typically that means it costs less. And I think that's really important for agencies. Uh, They want to make sure that their people are very efficient so that the project can get done in a reasonable time. And so so there are not scary reasons for needing to interact with the, with the Drupal community. I think a, a lot of projects will just have questions and clarifications and very little custom code that they need to do. But they may not realize that that's possible if they're not talking to Drupalers and getting those clarifications. They might go off on a wrong assumption, like, oh, this doesn't do what I want, I'm gonna do a whole bunch of custom stuff. And when you have the chance to interact with with people, you can kind of make sure you're on the right path and, and you don't go down that, that way of getting all the custom code. Because you may have some, and that can be really good, but custom code is very difficult to maintain, uh, especially if you have turnover in your tech team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't have automated tests for it, then that can additionally be complicated. So when you're just getting started on a project, right, you have like this clean slate. You haven't changed Drupal you don't have all this custom stuff. And if you know that you want to limit your custom stuff, and then talking with the community can help you can help you do that. And I think one of the reasons, in addition to like maintenance of custom code, one of the reasons why um, keeping that to a minimum is important is for security reasons. And interacting with the Drupal community can provide a really nice opportunity to make sure that your stuff is secure. So when you do have to make custom code, or patch a module, or whatever, and you ask the question on Drupal.org, typically perhaps in an issue associated with the theme or the module that the, that the question is about, that gets you started in the right direction. And then you may be like, oh, well, I think it should be like this, or this is the custom solution we're going to use with this. And because you have the issue, because you asked the question, then you can present the changes that you think are needed on the issue. And when you do that, what you get is you get the entire Drupal community, which is quite large. Uh, I mean, it's got to be, like if you add up people who contribute to Contrib stuff, right? I mean, it's got to be like 10,000 people, I think.
1: Right, and it's a, it's a gigantic international community. And, and one of the advantages we always talk about with open source is essentially that none of the problems you're talking about are unique, right? Uh, Your project is special to you, and it's important, but it's... And the
2: combination of aspects of your projects could be quite unique. But individually, those probably have come up already. Right. Yeah. And then when you post these changes on this issue, where you started asking just some questions and you have the whole entire Drupal community, what you, what you get is a chance that somebody in there might have experience with evaluating changes um, and their security implications, and they might see your change, they could run across it, uh, spot something, and then nobody's going to do that and not reach out. So the way people reach out, then, is... Uh, is a lot of different ways. It could be a comment on the issue. It could be contacting somebody through their user profile. It could be going to look to see what company they look at and who else works there. And so that ties back to this first step, right, of the organizational profile and and the and the user profiles. Uh, and I think for government agencies, right, security is quite often a very big concern. And the nice thing about doing this, or the opposite of doing this, let's say, right, is you start your project, you have an internal team, you're like, go learn Drupal, go do it, and they don't ask anybody questions. So they wanna change something, and they keep their change internal only. Then they don't even have a chance to get this free possible security audit. I mean, it's not a formal thing. Right? But if you don't put it out there on Drupal.org, then you don't even have that opportunity and you're completely missing it.
1: Right. It's worth noting for people who aren't aware. So we talked about you know, sign up for an organizational account. The next thing you have to do really is sign up for security alerts. Ah. Security notifications. I mean, security notifications come out every Wednesday. Yeah. Sometimes there are none, sometimes there are several. Um, and it's worth noting that any module that you download from Drupal.org that has an official release, it's not an alpha software, it's not a beta, is covered by Drupal's security team, and-
2: right? But then what that means, though, is not that it gets a security review before release, but that if somebody notices a security problem, that they can bring it to the security team's attention, typically privately, and uh, and then somebody will look at it. So it's it's ro- it's reactive in that sense. Uh, the security team also does several proactive things, but it. Doesn't just be like, oh, you can't make a, a an official release until we look at your code. We don't go quite that far,
1: right? But it is nice to have that layer of of accountability. So when we say, oh, we think there might be a security issue with this this mm-hmm. implementation, you can report a security issue, and the security team will have a perf- essentially someone who's trained in, in yes. security review take a look at things. And, and yeah, I've participated in those issues. <laughs> it's
2: it's
1: quite a it's an impressive process,
2: actually. Yeah, and. Uh, And super high-quality people that have a lot of experience looking at it. I'm also on the security team, but I'm a new member. So mostly I just help other people with things. Uh, So um, so like you asked, you know, you're getting started. What are some of the first steps, right? And we talked about some of the things. So making those profiles, starting to use Drupal.org to talk to people, to ask questions, and to post possible changes, I think that thing is is like the agency it would help the agency take advantage of all these benefits only if they have their tech team doing this and so putting in place some internal processes that encourage this uh, will help make sure it happens right like if you want somebody to do something you should give them an environment where it's easy for them to do it and they see the benefits from it uh and that if you can you make doing it part of a bigger process. So yesterday here at GovCon, I went to see Damian McKenna's uh, talk and it was called Free, Libre and Open Source Software and You. Uh, But it was absolutely about this. Like you have an internal group, you know you should be doing something with the community or contributing, like what the heck do you do? And so I highly recommend that people um, check out Uh, his information that's on the GovCon sites on the schedule uh, for Wednesday. But uh, there were kind of two or three important things I think that I can say pretty quickly and that is that um, one step to encouraging people to do this interaction with the community is just to start tracking the interactions that happen without necessarily asking like setting expectations for what people should do, so be, you know, like every project that you answer a question on or or things like, just start tracking the interaction that happens, and so you can see how that changes over time. So I think that's good to have in the process. Uh, one of the ways to encourage uh, communicating on Drupal.org about things and have it be part of the process is internally when you have to make a change to something, is to track as part of the identifier for that change, the issue number and the comment number. Uh, and so you can't then internally track it as part of your process if it doesn't have an issue and it doesn't have a comment number. So like you could make uh, you know, some kind of standard like in your git commit message, make sure you use this pattern in the string or when you name your patch file or when you set up your composer JSON and you're pulling a change, that part of documenting that is issue it came from and the comment number and then you can't really get around it because it's like oh i can't commit it without a number uh, and then people do and so that's that can be really nice uh, i think the other kind of getting started recommendation that damien had that is pretty decent is to plan for your tech team to have 10 percent where they don't have to track what they're doing so it's not like directly billable or on a particular thing that's in the current sprint, but it's just 10%. And Damien says people can do things like four hours on Friday afternoon tends to work pretty well because you don't really want to be deploying any changes on Friday afternoon. But you you have these people and you're paying them to do something. Uh, So they might as well be doing something productive.
1: Right, so he's basically talking about you know, baking aside sort of 10% is internal training time or just community time to, yeah. to get things up to speed.
2: And for that, it can help to have some sort of orientation for people. Uh, so some uh, agencies um, might identify one person on their tech team, like you said, that will spend a significant part of their time figuring out what the heck this community is and you know, being the point for communication there. If people don't have that, they might want to get ramped up by bringing in somebody for maybe a day or two days and and be like, this is how you communicate with the community. Uh, Because telling people, oh, you have 10% time to do whatever you want, they're going to do things that they're interested in and probably that they kind of sort of know already. And so if they're like, yeah, 10%, I could contribute to some Drupal project, and they've never done it before, and they're all on their own, and they don't know what to do, the odds of them using that time for that are kind of low. So it you know including some kind of orientation for how to do that will help make sure people can be successful when you like expect them to do it.
1: And it's good also to review the types of contributions that people can make because this is something we talk about with contributors all the time.
2: Right? Yeah, so I switched my description of talking about who these people are to tech team right halfway through the conversation. Right, right, right because i think people have this expectation that the only people who might be doing this interaction with the community are like back end developers or possibly themers but that's really not true at all it's site builders and junior people on the team and
0: uh it could
2: be anybody because like you have there's so many different levels of questions it could be like how do i use this api or it could be like i'm evaluating these three modules right or it could be we have this ambitious goal for this project, can we even get it done? And those are, are not all the same role, right? So, but they're all on the tech team.
1: Right, right. We, we had, or, you know, editors have questions too. I had, you know, we were working on a project and I had an editor say, hey, I'm using the WYSIWYG to upload images, but I can't upload files through it, so what do I do? And the answer was, well, we go to drupal.org and we look around and know if there's a module that, that handles that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's a non. That's a it's a project question, and it's a technical question. But it's not a developer question.
2: Right. So I think I think it's nice when we're one of the super awesome things about the Drupal community that is a little difficult to explain to people who might be getting involved is how thoughtful the Drupal community is, and and how we're always looking at the processes that we have, and can we improve them, and. What happened and what should happen, and I and one of the ways that that can be apparent that that's part of our community ethos is that we frequently go through changes in language that we use to describe things so that we can be usually more accurate and also more compassionate, more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 I like that when we use language that's more inclusive, we're quite often being more accurate. So like an example here at this event, uh, and a lot of Drupal events that people might end up going to, is that there's we use a lot of rooms. <laughs> we take over conference centers. And typically one of the areas uh, in the past used to be called the Coder Lounge. Right, right. And over the last couple years, uh, people in the community who may not be even involved with the camp sort of take ownership of, of things. I mean, it's the whole like it's open source, right? Like you see a problem and you fix it. So sometimes people will take sharpies to signs that say coder lounge, and they'll make them more accurate and also more inclusive by crossing it out and changing it to contribution lounge. Because that's what happens in those rooms. When people get together and they're like, I have this question about Drupal and, you know, perhaps it's an issue, we might eventually need to fix something. Or I have a question about an issue. And so the the activity in those rooms is not people coding, always. And the people in those rooms are not just coders. You can get usability specialists, uh, designers, you know, all kinds of people, uh, marketing people. Uh, So... I was in Montreal recently and uh, for Dev Days, which was a Drupal event, and I was in the uh, contribution area. And somebody was walking through and they're like, I need help. And, and people were like, well, what do you need? And they're like, I need a native English speaker. And I'm like, I'm a native English speaker? And, and, so, and so I started talking to them more. And it turns out uh, they were working on writing a showcase to feature their new distribution that they were putting out uh, for Drupal 8 that uh, is gonna be kind of the replacement for Commons. This person, which was like the project lead and they had their whole team there and they were like doing last minute changes to like make this distribution available so a bunch of people could get a, a, a nice benefit, not just their agency, um, started like explaining to me and I was reading the showcase that they wrote and we didn't just end up talking about grammar and native English things. Uh, because I'm outside to the project, and I'm not familiar with it, and I don't have any expertise in Commons, I had a lot of questions. And and there were some wordings that they thought were clear and that I didn't think was clear. and um, some, They would switch audiences sometimes, like sometimes be talking to developers or evaluators or they were talking about the community is us sometimes and sometimes the agency is us and just because i didn't know anything about their project i was we were able to work through this together it was we actually had a super fun time uh, but we were able to work through this together and come out with a much better showcase that then ended up being a featured showcase on drupal.org and so was that coding in a coder lounge no Was it contributing to the success of a project? Absolutely. And was it somebody working on the computer by themselves? No, it was just me asking questions. I would read it and I'd be like, well, what does that mean? And then, so I didn't even have to know anything. And I still helped with the contributions. So like when we say like tech team, right, it really is more inclusive. And when we say contributing, that is, we really mean contributing. In the widest possible way.
1: So it's probably good to to wrap up by talking about that that concept of you know, contribution and collaboration. I mean, it is one of the driving forces, I think, for why people, especially government agencies, would want to use Drupal rather than a, a proprietary system, because yes. this idea is, if we solve this problem the first time, then it can be reused, be used by other people. So, in the, mm-hmm. for example, in Australia, the Australian government has a common Drupal distribution that. All agencies can use to kickstart their projects, and sort of a fascinating piece. And a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about here is is around baking that knowledge into your project, making sure that that uh, your project is planned with these interactions in in place. Yeah. Um, what I'm getting at a little bit <laughs> is: Are there parts of your project that you don't want to reveal to the community? Are there? Is that something you need oh. to be planning for? Because sometimes there is proprietary business logic or yeah, absolutely or secret things. And so, do you need to be planning out like this is release worthy? I'm thinking of an example from from the White House. The White House, for example, very specifically released certain code when they did their big WhiteHouse.gov yeah. project. So is that something that you know sort of you know project managers ought to be thinking about
2: upfront? Well, you can't. You definitely can't just like release everything. Right? So perhaps including a little bit of research into the project as to what the common best practices are and how people make that decision and being able to spend some time educating your team um, is good to build into the project. And doing that with the, when, you, when you do decide to keep some things private, doing it with the understanding of the costs of that and the, and the repercussions. It can still be the right decision to make, but you would want to do it with the knowledge of what's going to happen because of that. Like, you're solely responsible for maintaining it. You are going to need to invest more money in doing maintenance and security and, like, all these other things. So it can still be the right decision, but the it's going to affect the project differently. And so mm-hmm. even if you make that, it's still good to understand what the benefits would be if you did release it so that you can understand what the costs you're incurring are when you don't.
1: Sort of as a as a wrap-up, are there any sort of last pieces of advice you have for people getting started? Like, the, the best thing you, you've ever done, or that sort of one special thing? Maybe, I mean, what's the best so, way to approach the community? It might be a question. Like, you've never I, contributed before, you have a question. I don't know.
2: So the best way to do it is to start digesting the stream of information that's coming out of the community. So pick your favorite medium. I really like podcasts. There's a Drupal Planet RSS feed that aggregates um, blog posts and announcements together. Uh, And many camps record and publish for free their sessions. And so if you'd like to watch something, listen to something, or read something, like pick whichever one those are and just time box, you know, four hours or whatever over a couple days and be like, I'm going to learn something about whatever because whatever information you're looking for, it's out there. People communicate really, really well in the Drupal community. Uh, the one thing I want to add when we talked earlier about like first steps, and we talked about making user accounts. And you mentioned signing up for security uh, email lists. Uh, the way people do that is in their profile. Right. So you can subscribe to the security announcements via their profile. Profile is super important.
1: It is super important, but it's because it's the way that we do communicate. I want to thank you for uh, spending the time with us today. It's All been right. really fun and informative.
0: You're quite welcome. Right. It was nice. Thank you, Ken and Kathy. If you want to hear past episodes of On the Air with Palantir, make sure to visit our website at palantir.net. There you can also read our blog and see our work. Each of these episodes is also available on iTunes, and of course you can follow us on Twitter at Palantir. Thanks for listening.